As we open our, go to our scripture this morning, it is found in Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. It begins with these words. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to the public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. May God add his blessing to the reading of this word. Let us be in prayer. Dear Lord, part of your perfect plan was to come as a human, to be here among us, to walk with us and to feel and and know all of the things that we experience. But ultimately, your plan was to save us, to save us from the sins that separate us from you. And so, Lord, we thank you so much for that, and thank you for the gift that we have received that can never be repaid, that can never be something that we can attain to by ourselves. And Lord, as Pastor Mike comes this morning to deliver the message based on this scripture, we pray that our hearts will be open, that our ears will hear that which you have prepared in his heart to share with us, and that we can take that message away with us as we look forward to that day that we celebrate the return and the birth of your son. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Pastor Keith last week talked about the, the, uh, the, the genealogy of Jesus at our 745 and our 945 service. And, and then today we go to that second part of Matthew chapter 1 where it goes, comes into the naming uh, of, of the baby. Now, it starts for me like this. <clears throat> I can remember that day in 1989 as clear as it's today. Because on November 6, 1989, I was standing all gowned up with a mask over my face, gloves on my hand, my wife on an operating table, experienced a cesarean section. We were in a place called Delta, Colorado, and as as Sam Keevan opened my wife, which was both the coolest and the grossest thing I've ever seen, he brought out this little child that we had been expecting for, for all these months. We'd seen my wife's whole body and everything changed around that. And he held her up. And he says, well, who's this? And I said, Sam, that's Sarah. He says, I thought so. It looks just like her. And then he smacked her on the rear. 
You know, names are important to us. Teresa and I had thought about that name for a long time. And so, so when it identifies us, we're, we're thrilled. You know, the, the, the one-time decision of picking a name for a child, and, and many of us in this room have had that opportunity to, to, to experience that one-time experience of picking a name for a child that's going to have significant impact on them for their entire lives. You see, naming the baby gives identity. Naming the baby gives identity. The first thing we teach a child is their name. We say their name to them when we're carrying them in those little carrying cases when we're rolling around. We say their name over and over and over and over and over so that they might know that that's who they are. That, 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 you know, that they're Noah, that they're Hannah, that they're Laverne. We, we want people to know exactly who they are. And so the first thing we kind of teach a, a child to know is their name. So when that name is called out, they know, that's me. That, that, that's me they're calling to. It's not someone else. It's, it's me they're calling to because our name distinguishes us from, from others. It tells us who we are. And at some level, it gives us our, our identity. You know, there is a great ritual in America today <clears throat> that prospective parents go through. And that's the process of selecting a name for your baby. I, I, I dare you. You know, you'll probably be in a little bit today, not during the worship service with your iPhone or whatever, but just do a search through Bing or Google, name your baby, and watch how many websites come off. I mean, there are websites. There's YouTube videos about this. I mean, I know I've been researching this for a couple of weeks. Okay, there's books. Every, almost and every parent that's ever had a child in the last 20, 30 years have sat with one of those books that somebody gave and flipped through the name of the name your baby book, right? Maybe guys haven't all done that, but at least we go like to the curio shops and we look at all those little like license plates and look down, oh, Abigail, Ab- you know, we, what are we going to, you know, what, what are we going to pick? We, we put a lot of time into that. And most parents take this very seriously. And I'm going to show you how serious it is by showing you first the exceptions. There's always the trendy, there's always the trendy. Take, take a look at this. In, in, in the United States, there are 13 people that were named last year ESPN. ESPN. Or worse, there's three little girls in our, in our United States today named Selfie. Do you know what a selfie is? Do you know what a selfie is? It's when you hold the camera out, right? Take a picture of yourself. And they're named that. Now, there, there's always the trendy. People, oh, this is really trendy. I mean, can, poor grandma selfie, you know. <laughs> people are going to be, what is that, you know. Down the road. And there's always people that are in pursuit of the unique. There, there are boys named this in, in, in the United States this year. Blip, Cheese, Panda. I mean, you know, you're going to say, did you cut the cheese? No, he's right, he's Okay. Pass the cheese. No, I can't pick him up. You can't do that. I mean, I mean, who thought of that? And there's always, you know, so there's always people that are, that, that are looking for the trendy. There's always people that are pursuit, in pursuit of the really unique. And there's then always, of course, the completely ill-equipped. Always the completely ill-equipped. I went to see Katie, Joe, and Troy Little several years ago. I'm going to tell you two stories that happened in my town, okay? Because these kind of horrify me. And I walked into their room, and we were celebrating... Uh, their little child that was brand new. And I looked at the name at the child in the next little, you know, birthing room. And when I came in, I said, well, that's an interesting name. I said, how do you pronounce that? They said, Absidy. (laughs) 
And you know how they came upon that? So they, I said, how, how did they come upon that? Well, they were sitting in the room. They couldn't figure out a name for the child. And they were looking at the border along the top of the room. A, B, C, D, E, Absidy. So there's a child, you know, being raised in our community now, about three years old, named Absidy. That's because they were ill-equipped. They didn't have a name. But wait, there's worse. Wait, take a look at the next slide. There's a child in our community named that. Couldn't figure out a name, so just called him Boy. That's probably what we'll call him anyway. We'll just call him Boy now. Oh, Grandpa Boy. I mean, you know, you know though, though I show you those examples to, to talk to about how much we care. You know, some, sometimes we're, you know, and, and these are real people in our community, so I, 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 yeah, I guess I am kind of making fun of them a little bit, but, but of how we're not prepared sometimes. Where on the other hand, we spent, and our hearts kind of hurt, not just for the children, but we also kind of like, oh, come on, parents, sometimes. But, but the fact of the matter is, the, these, these examples aside, parents typically, I, I know I did, and probably you did too that are parents here, parents typically have something very specific they want to communicate or, communi- or convey in a name. I, I went over the last, maybe I talked to some of you, I, I'll, I'll look around today, not, not all of us are going to be here today, but I went around in the last uh, five or six weeks asking some of you parents, because I knew the sermon was coming, how you chose your kid's name. And I'll tell you this, doesn't matter if the kid is four or 40. If you ask a parent how they chose their child's name, they have a certain light about their face when they say, I remember when we were going through that process. And I remember how that came, came about. And then they tell you the story. And in our congregation tonight, today, we have parents who have named their children after a beloved figure in their family. Dad, mom, grandma, grandpa, favorite uncle. We have people that have named, named children after significant personal friends in their lives because they thought that person was so important and that they, would, they would desire that this child would aspire to be something like that. We even have a couple of people that are named after historical that have chosen, that they, they chose to name their, their kids after historical figure. I'll tell you what, I guarantee you this. Next year, one of the most used names in the African-American community for boys is going to be Nelson. You watch. You watch. Okay? B- because we, we pick names of, of people that we aspire the children to, to, to be like. We have families in the church. I remember I was down in the coffee thing, and one of, one of our families said, we picked our names after men in the Bible, Jacob and Joshua. My, uh, we have uh, one family that, that, well, a couple of families that just like a certain sound at the beginning of a name, you know, like uh, Christmas Eve, Nicole Payton is going to play up here with her sister Natalie while her brother Noah watches, okay? They like that end, okay? And then the, the Matt and Jenny Wildman who teach confirmation for us right now have four children, Hayden, Hunter, Haley, Harper. Think there's a trend there? They like that sound at the beginning of the name. And I know when Teresa and I picked our names for, for our children, we like girl names that end with, we like all girls, but we specifically in our own children like names that end with the uh sound. Sarah, Lisa, Teresa. It's, it's just something that, that sounds good com, coming off our, our, in our fact. And I'll tell you what, you never name a child 
after an ex-boyfriend or girlfriend? If we had a boy, there was no way it was going to be named Randy, Tom, Larry. I'll tell you what, I'd have squashed the child and fed the milk to the hogs. That's what would have happened. I, that's an old farm expression, isn't it? That's bad. But we, that, that, those, those names just don't, and we wouldn't, we wouldn't name a, a child of our own after something that was appalling to us or that we didn't difficult. And we never name, it's interesting, uh, we never name ch- our children after, after a name of someone we've known that was abrasive to us. You know, there's some names that are, I mean, I don't know what they are for you. I, don't, I know what they were for me. There were just some names for girls. So I was like, well, I'll never use those because I know some of those people that are named that. And I, no, don't want to think about that when I'm thinking about these. But names are important to us. People put a lot of thought into a name. There, there was a cowboy standing at a campfire one day. And uh, a couple other cowboys walked up to him and says uh, to him, what's y'all's name? He says, Tex. They said, Tex? Where are you from? Texas? He says, no. Louisiana? They said, why do you call yourself Tex then? He says, you know a cowboy that wants to be known as Louise? <laughs> See, names are important to us. We, we, we put a lot of thought into names. And when we look at Matthew 1, at the biblical message that's coming to us for today, we see that a name has deep, significance and importance. You see, Hebrew parents always chose names in regards to what that name meant in the life of God. And the names given by Hebrew parents were intended to acknowledge God's gift or to express their perceived hope, what they thought hoped that child would be or their destiny in God. So naming this baby reveals God's plan. Naming the baby reveals God's plan. You see, there's a uh, uh, old story. Do you remember the, the play or the movie, The Best Christmas, pa- Christmas Pageant Ever? In The gres- Best Christmas Pageant Ever, they're, they're having this conversation about what to name the little child. What's the name of the little baby going to be? And they're all throwing out different names. And then one of the little boys says, he takes that, those names in Isaiah and he says, I think we should name it this. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of course, they, they think that's a beautiful name and inspires awe in their hearts. Then one little girl says, but wait a second. If we name the baby that, it will never get out of first grade. It could never spell all that. But, but Scripture is very careful to us in the names that it gives Jesus. Every name that it gives Jesus is rich in meaning and powerful in their pronunciations. As a matter of fact, there's 198 titles or names given for Jesus in Scripture. And, and they include things like Christ, Savior, Lord, Redeemer, Lamb of God, Light of the World, Alpha and Omega, Messiah, Deliverer, Good Shepherd, I Am, King of Kings, Firstborn of the Dead, Prince of Peace. But there are just two names, just two names that are prescribed to him at his birth. And both of them focus on his function in God's plan. And first, part of that is that the baby's name reveals that he comes to save. The baby's name reveals that he comes to save. You all have him uh, a few Bibles in front of you. I, I rarely do this, but I'm going to ask you to open to Matthew 1. And if somebody comes up with a quick page number on that, it's going to be page... Some confirmation student shouted out for me. 675, thank you. 675, 
is where we're at. Now, I'm, I'm going to have you look at something because I want to show you the name, the, the potency of the name here. Because it says here in Matthew, let yourself glance down to the right column and towards the bottom. It, it says here, um, you are to give the name, you're, you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Now, just let your eyes follow. And if you don't have your glasses on, sorrow, sorry, down to the bottom of the page where it talks about what the name Jesus means in the footnotes. Because I want to show you just a little bit about that. So let's, let's put that next slide up here. I want to do a brief etymology. Keep, keep that up. So if you look at the name Jesus... In English, it means the Lord saves. Now, this might be just a little bit more biblical study today than you, than you might have planned on. But you see, I've got the word capitalized, Lord, L-O-R-D. And you'll see this throughout Scripture. Sometimes the word Lord is written like it normally is. But when the word the Lord is written, it means the Hebrew word Y-H-W-H. Now, Y-H-W-H is a word that the Hebrews wrote for God, a name of God. It's unpronounceable. There's no vowels in it. There's no vowels in the word Y-H-W-H, but it refers to God who is I am. And so when we talk about, about Jesus, it means Y-H-W-H, or in German we pronounce that Yahweh. Yahweh saves. Yahweh is salvation. Yahweh is my help. Because the very name Jesus means Yahweh saves. The Lord saves. Now, let me do a little bit more entomology on this. Give me the next slide. So here's what's happened is we've taken the Hebrew word as we've translated scriptures over the years, Y-H-W-H, and then the, the, Greek, the Hebrews pronounced the word when they had to pronounce something, Yeshua. And so probably on his earthly life, Jesus by his parents would have been called Yeshua because that's the Hebrew way of saying that name that we call Jesus. And then Joshua is the Greek translation of that, and Jesus. All of which mean the Lord saves. Now that's some nickel knowledge. You you can show off tomorrow at work if you want to with that. But but the point of that is, and and for you seeing that, that footnote in the Bible, is to help understand that the very name of Jesus states his function, which is the Lord saves. The Lord comes to save. He comes to save us for a simple thing. We need salvation. We need salvation. That's why the baby is named the Lord saves. You see, we cannot fix the problem of humanity. I've said this very thing before. We cannot fix the problem of humanity. And here's the problem. It's pretty simple. God is perfect, holy, magnificent. In his image, he created humanity. Humanity had the opportunity also to pursue holiness in their lives. Now, in our biblical story, we can say, which is the, you know, the biblical story is, of course, the story of God and his people. We can see from the very second page of the Bible, people looked for their own way. God so said, this is the way to go. It's perfect, holy, it's wonderful. And we choose to go our own way. And there's no thing that we can do to bring ourselves back up equal with God. There's a huge gap. There's a huge chasm, a valley that stands between where we are and where God is. 
And we can derive all kinds of philosophies. We can write all kinds of theology. We can have all kinds of smart ideas. We can do all kinds of behaviors and activities. But we cannot earn our way to the place where God is. We need something to bridge the gap so that we can go from where we are to where God is. Now, the whole story of the Scriptures is about God's atonement, becoming at one with us, how God desires us to be at one with Him, and how God acknowledges where He is, understands where we are, and provides us a path from where we are to where He is. And that path is Jesus. Yahweh saves. Christ is the bridge that spans the gap from where we are to where Christ is. And if we receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we are given a new life in Christ that is marked by its holiness, seen by its forgiveness. Just grace flows upon it, and we have wholeness of heart and mind if we receive the God who comes to save us. Jesus saves. The, the name of this baby is he comes to save. And that's what that name reveals. But the name reveals something else too. The baby's name reveals that he comes to stay too. He doesn't just save. He comes to save. Imagine this. It's hard on a snowy day, but imagine this. That you're out in the ocean swimming. You get caught out in the riptide. Now, you know you shouldn't do that. And maybe you weren't that great a swimmer to begin with. But you're caught in that riptide and you're going to die. You're going to drown. That's just the way it is because you don't have the skills, the ability, or the swimming strength to get out of there. But the lifeguard does. They have the tools, they have the ability, and they can find you. And so the lifeguard comes and saves you. He pulls you back up on the beach, dries you off, puts you at the to- on your towel, and then sits down right beside you. And you say to him, thank you so much. You saved my life. I'll be fine. And he says, you know what? I'm going to stay right here. Because I know you're fine. But I'm going to be with you. You see, the Lord who saves is the Lord who stays. He saves us, then stays with us forever. It says in the scriptures that his name will be Jesus, and he will be recognized as Emmanuel. Now, the literal tra- translation of the word of the t- of the name Emmanuel is God is with us. To understand Jesus, we must understand Emmanuel as well as Savior, because the great people of our faith has all have always believed God to be Emmanuel, God with them. When Moses stood at the side of the Red Sea. The Egyptians coming behind him, the, the, the people of Israel in front of him, the great sea there to cross. When he raised up his arms, Moses knew that he did not have the power to split water before. Every single one of us has tried to be Moses, haven't you? I mean, I know I have. I'd be able to walk up to Lake Okoboji. Just walk in, you know. It stayed there, you know. But, but Moses, you know, he goes up there and he knows God is with us, so he raises up his arms. And, and, and the waters part, and, and Israel walks through there. And when he puts his arm down, Pharaoh's arm is consumed by the very walls of water that had let Israel through. When Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were thrown into the fiery furnace by, by Nebuchadnezzar, you can read this in, in the book of Daniel. 
When Nebuchadnezzar looked in there, even though the fire was so hot that it killed the guards that threw them in there, there were Nebuchadnezzar, there were Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego hanging out in the middle of this fiery furnace with a fourth person. Now, who is that fourth person? It is Emmanuel, God with us. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when they came out of the fiery furnace, didn't even smell like smoke because God was with them. See, the people of, of, of the, the, the ancients always believed that God was with him. When David was polishing up some stones, when he was standing there in the shadow of Goliath and he was beginning to, to, to wind up for the first pitch, when Goliath was drawing that eight-foot-long sword, David wasn't the least bit afraid because he knew God was with him. Because Jesus, our Lord, saves, and Emmanuel, our God, saves stays. See, we oftentimes, and this is one of the things that we make such huge mistakes about, is we think that God comes and goes in our lives like our moods or like this wind that's going to blow today and be gone tomorrow. But he is not like that. You see, I find myself sometimes in my prayers, whether they're in here or in the prayer room or in my prayer spot in my house, I will say about maybe even one of you, God be with them or God be with me. What a foolish thing to ask for. That is like asking me to be Mike. Where else would God be but with us? What else would I be but Mike? When I say, and I know what I mean when I say God be with you, it's I'm really praying praying a blessing on you, but, but the words I say, God be with someone, God's already said, I told you I was here. I'm here and I'm never going to go. I'm the God who saves and stays. And we have to remember that in our lives so that when, and I hope that maybe when you're praying over the next few weeks, you say, oh, that's right, pastor said, we know God's with us. So we can pray more specifically and more functionally for, for what we're praying about. And I'm, I'm not reprimanding in anyone. I'm just telling you that even in my own prayers, I have to remind myself that God didn't ever go anywhere. If anybody went anywhere, it was us running away from him. God tells us I'm here to stay. As a matter of fact, Jesus' last words in the gospel of Matthew is, In Matthew 28, he says, And surely I am with you always to the end of the age. Always. There's no thing, no time outside always. Always is what time we're in right now. So, so the Lord says, I save you and I, and I come, come to stay. So, so there it is with, with, I mean, for us, forever with our God, Jesus, who is Emmanuel, regardless of our attitudes, our hardships, our situation, he is here with us. We name the baby because he comes to save and he comes to stay. And I want to tell you this, that naming the baby requires a response. And this is where it gets quite a bit personal. Maybe that's why it's opportune that we have a nice, intimate moment this morning where we all have to eat four donuts. You know, when we, name, when we receive a baby whose name is Jesus, Emmanuel, it means that there needs to be a moment or a movement towards choice and sometimes both. We have to ask ourselves, what, what will you do about Jesus? What, what are you going to do about the Jesus that comes to save you and the Emmanuel who comes to live with you forever? My life was a time, a movement through First United Methodist Church and through a Christian family. There was this movement that was pulling me towards Christ, certainly informing me about Christ. And I needed a moment to choose what I was going to do about Jesus. Now you've heard this story, but I'm going to shorten it. Show this next picture. 
This is not a very good picture, but it's a picture of one of the most important people in my life. That's Sterling Bolden. Now, Sterling is uh, not a pastor. He's a teacher in um, uh, he's a teacher in Chicago, and he he was in a four point stance in front of me most of my college career. He was our nose tackle. But on an Easter Sunday one year, Sterling was appointed by the religious life at our college to preach the sermon which was odd to me because Sterling certainly didn't have the kind of church training I had. I mean, for goodness sake, I'd gone to First United Methodist Church in Marion. My whole life, I'd heard Nick Watkins and, and Lloyd Kellums and all, or Dick Watkins and Lloyd Kellums and all these folks preach the gospel. I mean, I knew a lot about Jesus. And when I woke up and I didn't want to go, they banged on my doors. They made me come out to this stupid service that was cold. It was freezing. Only people on campus were a few athletes and, 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 and people that were, didn't want to go home for Easter or whatever. And I apparently am, amounted in that number. And I knew what I had been doing the, the night before and it wasn't preparing for church. All right? And so at six o'clock on the third time through my dorm when they finally woke me out and dragged me out there and Sterling, you know, 20 of us out there under this junky old cross worshiping. Sterling started to preach. So cold we couldn't sit down. Grass was wet and all that. And Sterling started to preach. And as he preached, you know what I was thinking? You'd like to think in a story like this, you'd say, man, this is awesome. But I was thinking, I could do this better than him. I was. I was thinking that the whole time he was talking. I was like, man, I know this story better than him. I could do this better than him. But then at the end, 20 of us, Sterling went up to the cross. This cross was like ratty old wood, and he'd rip off a piece. This is a big, strong man. He'd rip off a piece, and he'd come around, and he'd start at the first he probably planned it this way. I think the Holy Spirit probably did. But I was going to be last. And the, he'd put a piece of wood in someone's hand and he'd say, now what are you going to do about Jesus? Okay? So he gets to me. I'm the last one. Probably one of the most important moments of my life. Sterling comes up. Now he's, he's a fit guy in that picture, but he's going about 240. He's bigger than me. And he puts that in my hand, this crunched up piece of wood, and he grabs my hands and he says, Mike, what are you going to do about Jesus? And just like everybody else, I thought he'd be like, do one of these. That's not what he did. He held on to me. He says, Mike, what are you going to do about Jesus? And you can see what he looks like. So guess what he dropped into then? Mike, what are you going to do about Jesus? This went on like 20 times. Sterling went on there. And finally, I just said, I'll do anything. Let you go. You let go of me. Because I couldn't wrestle my way away, and finally he let go. But I want to tell you, what Stroll did that day was so important. Because I knew that Jesus saved. I knew that he'd come to stay with me. And I knew that my movement, the movement through my life, had been pointing me towards the Lord. But I had resisted receiving it. And that day I went back to my dorm, because I didn't give Sterling any, I didn't even give him any response to that until five years later. But I went into my dorm and I sat down. I mean, it's Easter morning now. I'm soaking wet. It's 6.45. I'm sitting in the dorm. Not a lot going on on the college campus, 6.45 on a Sunday morning. And so I sat there and cried and prayed and said, you know, I really do need to do something about Jesus. And so I received Christ as my Savior that day into my life. And the point of that is that what I've always said about what Sterl did to me is the question, what you're going to do about Jesus? It's a question that we all need to have a response for. When God names the baby Yahweh saves and gives him the title of Emmanuel, 
that is the God who stays, it demands a response from us. And so the same is true for you. And I, I, you know, Keith and I were talking last week, you know, what do you do around Christmas with folks that have been to Christmas a hundred times? You know, how, how do you, how do you make it new and different creative? And I said, you know, at some level, you don't. You put out challenge, you put out blessing, and you put out opportunity. So here's opportunity. And you say, what do I have to do about the name Jesus? Well, the first thing you have to do is you have to believe. You have to believe that Jesus is who he says he is. That he's the son of God, the Messiah come from God. That he is the savior of the world and he comes to remove all your sins from you and pass grace onto your life so that you might live holy, free, and redeemed for the rest of your life. You have to believe that Jesus is Emmanuel. God comes to be with you and you have to believe that. And secondly, then you have to receive him into your heart. You just simply receive the God that comes and let the Holy Spirit come into your heart so that you become at one with him and then you spend the rest of your life becoming who God wants you to be. So that's what you need to do. Jesus requires a response. The very name of Christ requires a response that you, that you believe in him, you receive him for he is, and then you intend and attend to becoming the man or woman that God would have you be the rest of your life. That's why, in the case of Jesus, naming the baby is so important. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that you are a God that saves and stays. We thank you, Lord, that you call upon us an opportunity to receive you, to believe in you, and to become who we are in your way. And we ask, oh God, that we pursue that with all we are, with all we have every day of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.